Photo Shelter presents Vision Slightly Blurred. I'm Sarah Jacobs. And I'm Alan Murabayashi. Alan, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Thank you. Happy 2022. I can't believe it. I can't either. And also, I can't believe that you are in a much, much warmer climate than me. I'm, I'm freezing my ass off in New York. I'm back here in Honolulu with my parents. Ah, sounds great. <laughs> very, very jealous. Well, we had a lot of NFT news last year, but we're opening up the year with some more because this is extremely relevant to the photojournalism world. Associated Press is launching an NFT marketplace built by Zuha. That's how you say it, right, Alan? That's how you say it. Zua. Spelled X-O-O-A. Okay. Yes. Thank you for clarifying. Um, so the initial collection is going to feature photography by current and former AP photojournalists um, and a selection of digitally enhanced depictions of their work. It's going to include all the metadata and even some Pulitzer Prize winning AP images um, will be in the mix. The range of topics are going to include space and climate and war photographs. Um, and the marketplace is going to debut on Monday, January 31st. What do you think about this, Alan? Well, we are recording this on Monday, January 10th, and this announcement just came out a few hours ago. So I've been looking for some quick reactions from photojournalists, and a lot of them are saying, well, does the photographer get any of the proceeds? And I think mm. in most cases, the answer is no, because of the contract that they're signing. It's generally a work-for-hire contract. Um, right. The AP does say in their press release, quote, as a not-for-profit news cooperative, proceeds go back into funding factual, unbiased AP journalism. So I guess at least there's that. Yeah, I mean, that's something. I'll be interested to see like what type of photographs exactly they're going to sell. They did preview two of the images, one of which we've actually talked about on the show. It was photographed by Emilio Morinati, which are ash images from the volcano erupting on the Canary Islands of La Palma, Spain, that are just very, very striking. Makes sense that somebody might want to add that to their digital collection. You still got to wonder, you know, if you are an NFT doubter, because you don't actually own anything except for mm. the, the NFT, the token to the image, you don't get a print, you don't, you don't have any sort of personal use rights to the image. So you still have to wonder whether this is going to be a fad, whether it's something that is just a, a niche uh, interest for a small group of people that keep kind of propping up value. But clearly, I think we're getting to the point where there's just going to be too much stuff for anything to retain a whole lot of value. I think mm. people like Ruben Wu, who we've talked about in the past, his types of images appeal aesthetically to the people that are interested in NFTs. And so the fact that he sold images for $50,000 worth of Ethereum uh, which is probably tanked by now because uh, crypto has really dropped in the past week. You know, he's a guy that can continue to succeed. I'm not sure how much these AP images are going to make, but I guess we'll see at the end of the month. Yeah, we will. This past week, we also celebrated the one-year anniversary of the insurrection on January 6th. Getty Images had a retrospective that featured a lot of the images by Drew Angerer and Wynn McNamee, along with images from Sam Corum, uh, Brent Sturton, who took that crazy photo of the silverback gorilla a few years ago. We'll have a link to that on our blog at blog.photoshelter.com. John Cherry, Spencer Platt, who won World Press Photo, uh, photo of the Year in 2006, and Tassos Katopotis. 
I'm always just kind of shocked at how many great photographers are on the scene at any one place. I mean, I guess I shouldn't be surprised considering this is <laughs> Washington, D.C. Um, but when you look at, at the the CV of these guys, uh, it's just it's amazing how many people were around taking photos on that day. Yeah. Of course, we remember Drew's photos. He was in the House chamber. Wynn was documenting the crowd in the rotunda and then made his way into the Senate chamber. Drew had that incredible photo of the barricaded doors with Capitol Police pointing their guns at a face peering through the door. And Wynn has that incredible photo of a protester hanging from the balcony in the Senate chamber, along with close-up, I guess you would call them you know, portraits, although they were, they were clearly photojournalistic photos, of the QAnon shaman. Uh, and also the guy stealing Nancy Pelosi's lectern. I mean, Wynn had so mm. many incredible images, as did Drew, as did these other photographers. It was shocking in a way that I, I wasn't expecting uh, seeing these images that I was already familiar with. But when you when you realize that this was just a year ago and you see these images again, it just brings back all of these sort of awful memories for this, this uh, infamous day in democracy. What was your reaction to seeing some of these images again? I mean, to be honest, it, it felt like yesterday only because, you know, I was working from home the day it happened and just watching the images stream through my Twitter feed. Um, so, but I did see a few new images in this Getty collection um, that I hadn't. And so, and I think it's really important that we revisit this, um, you know, and remember, remember what went down. Similarly, Reuters' Leah Mills had a recap of her day on January 6, 2021, on Twitter, where she would post an image with a timestamp and talk about what she was going through at that time, um, and then sort of culminating with the the flash uh, bang grenade that went off uh, in the late afternoon, early evening of that day. Uh, it was really kind of moving to see that, that self-recollection um, and that first person narrative of what she was going through, because it, I think it really brought uh, a, a sense of intimacy to the to the storytelling. But mm. she also had to deal with a lot of idiots, uh, one of whom I'm not going to name who this idiot was, but said, it's funny how the colors in this image look so different from the other ones in, during the day, implying that somehow she had photoshopped the image. But people were quick to say, you're an idiot. You know, the sun changes position during the day. So, of course, the colors are going to change during the day. I mean, just just the, the idiocy going on with January 6th is just uh, uh, incredible to me. Uh, but yeah. Leah Mills will have a link to her Twitter feed on her blog at blog.photoshelter.com. I got to say, all these photojournalists, their memory is like tack sharp. And I know that this wasn't very long ago, but, you know, the way that they can recall exactly what happened. They're like the East Wing, the West Door, the they yeah. climbed up the... Then I went through the West Hall. Like, you know, I mean, I know that they know these spaces, but to me, it's just like, I think I would have, I mean, I would have been in panic mode and just completely forgotten, you know, everything that had gone on minute by minute. Yeah. Well, you know, they're pros. They do this every day. And so I think that they have a way of sort of honing in with a laser focus on what's going on. And, and they're obviously their visual memory is very, very high as visual storytellers. Absolutely. 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 It's a testament to their brains and their work. You know, Alan, I didn't stay up late enough to watch the ball drop on New Year's <laughs> Eve. <laughs> so I'm officially old now. I, I think that's how it works. But um, as the clock struck, we in New York City got a new mayor, Mayor Eric Adams. And the New York Times did a little write-up specifically about the photograph he carried with him during his swearing-in ceremony. And it was a framed photo of his mother. And it 
it's a professional glamour shot of her um, with her portrayed inside of a brandy snifter. And it's a double exposure style photograph to create this illusion of the person being in the brandy snifter. Um, and writer Sandra Garcia goes on to explain the significance of that style of glamour shot, saying that, quote, the brandy snifter portrait is as American as hip hop acid wash jeans and plastic covered sofas, end quote. And I loved it because, you know, it reminded me of the old glamour shots that like the cool girls used to take in high school back in Texas, you know, like the super soft, well-lit mall type photos. But this kind of opens up a larger discussion of how like different ethnic groups have these different trends of portrait photography. Yeah, I love it. You know, I I wasn't aware that this was a trend. but it's it's really interesting, and you know the article references a Saturday Night Live sketch from 2001, uh, where Alec Baldwin plays this guy saying, "Yeah, I'll take a picture of you and put it in a brandy snifter." As a and way he's, to, he's like such a New Yorker, <laughs> in such that a New Yorker, skin. yeah. So it's wonderful. You know, the article says the double exposure trend is one that has made its way around the world several times by now, but in New York, it remains a piece of the black and immigrant aesthetic. African-American people, they always put their pictures on a plaque, a glass, a flyer. That's just what we do, Mr. Freeman, one of the interviewees said. You know, we're super exquisite. And I love it. There's, this, there's a yeah. kitschiness to the image. Now, whether it's a Photoshop job or a true double exposure is sort of irrelevant. It's the fact that you're putting someone's portrait into a brandy <laughs> snifter. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And to your point, it really does remind me of, you know, in the 1980s, there was a photographic portrait studio franchise called Glamour Shots. And I just remember the girls getting their hair teased out, you know, super big, getting the Mm. makeup put on. I don't know what they're Mm -hmm. charging back in the day, you know, $30 for the the basic (laughs) sitting up to $100 or more. Uh, and there's an article in the New York Times from a few years ago talking about the last five glamour shot locations in the United States uh, that I was th- thought was very, very interesting. And then, of course, it reminded me all of, of other sort of portrait trends, including Draven Rodriguez, the teen behind the viral laser cat yearbook photo. Oh, um, yeah. That, you know, it, it, he kind of revived this trend of having the, the laser beams in the background and he had a huge his cat as the double exposure, if you will, in in the image. Mm, And it struck me that, you know, when you are controlling aspects of the portrait, the participatory portrait becomes as much of an act of self-expression as the clothing that you wear, the hairstyle that you choose to, to, you know, cut your hair in or tease or whatever. Uh, It's just really sort of fascinating to see the way that people want to be depicted in the portraits that they're, they're using in retail photography. Absolutely. And this style is definitely coming back. Um, This reminds me of Tom's one hour photo out in L.A., which got hyped up by singer Casey Musgraves. She went to L.A. with her sister. They found this little glamour shot spot in Chinatown in L.A. and uh, listened to the owner, Tom, talk about his life and his his shop and how it was going under. And they blew it up on social media. And he has been doing fine ever since. (laughs) So it's a cool, it's a cool aesthetic. I love it. And I loved this, uh, this little take on Eric's mom's picture. There's a ton of photo podcasts out there, but we found another one by (laughs) the large format portraitist, Greg Miller. It's a new uh, podcast called Photophonica. And I took a listen to episode one, which is the, uh, the inaugural episode that's out right now. 
And Greg describes it in his intro as recently, and maybe this is my age, I've been increasingly more interested in the story outside the frame. So whereas I was expecting his voice to dominate the discussion of this particular photo of his neighbor, Russ, what we actually got was a few minutes of introduction followed by the bulk of the podcast being snippets of interview with Russ. So Russ is basically describing his life. And it's not even about the photo that Greg took. <laughs> it's really just about this, this neighbor. It was a really intriguing format. Not the typical podcast that talks about creative process or gear. It's probably not everyone's cup of tea, but man, I love Greg's photos so much. I, th- I thought it was really fascinating. Did you get a chance to listen oh, yeah. to it at all? I Yeah, I did listen to some of it, and it is super interesting. I, I will say I probably like Greg Miller's visual work, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe more than the podcast. We've talked about his work here on the show, particularly um, his series of kids waiting for the morning bus. That medium format, mm, you know, it, I know I say it every time. It just gives that lush, amazing, expansive feeling in a picture. Yes. And that's what he shoots with. He's a great, great photographer. I came across his work many years ago, probably over 10 years ago, uh, with his Primo Amore series from Italy, using that large format with the razor thin uh, depth of field really makes the subjects pop, but he he has a lot of the environment around his subjects. Um, so if, if the uh, podcast isn't your cup of tea, I can almost guarantee that his photography will be. So check him out, Greg Miller. Head of Instagram, Adam Mosari, uh, announced via a video recently that IG is experimenting going back to chronological Mm -hmm. feed. Yeah. You know, man. Okay. Just a quick note on Masari's videos that he does. I kind of feel like they're all hands. You know how companies have all hands and the CEO will get up. It kind of feels like that. Every time he gets on, you're like, okay, Masari, tell us what's going on with the product with, you know, what are you guys working on? What's the team going to do next? Like it definitely has that vibe. Anyways, okay, I just had to point that out. But yeah, so they're experimenting with chronological feed. It'll come, it's already going into some people's homepage, but basically you'll be able to choose um, between three different feeds, and that is home, which is the regular algorithm that Instagram has been doing for years, following, which will be chronological order, which is everybody that you are following, and then faves, which is your designed favorite accounts. I would assume that would be probably close to your close friends' Insta stories of who you might add to your favorites. Um, This seems really smart. It seems like a really easy move. I'm sure technically like it's not, but it seems like an obvious move. I like it. I'm excited to get it on my Instagram app. I'm all for giving the end user the ability to sort of filter and sort the way that they want to see content. I wonder after so many years of being used to the algorithm, whether we're all lost in our own nostalgia about that serialized feed, you know, first in, first out feed. And when we go to it, whether we're going to be like, oh, this isn't as good as as I thought it would be. No, totally. We haven't had chronological feeds since 2016. So it's been, yeah, it's Seven been a years. long time. I know. <laughs> you know, they yeah. recently allowed uh, the end user to restrict embedding of posts. And so along with that no embed option and this ability to sort chronologically, you got to kind of wonder whether Instagram is listening to its users. Mm, 
Maybe out of fear of losing them to other services like TikTok. I mean, who knows at this point? But yeah, I mean, congratulations to them for uh, for putting this feature back in. Yeah. Let's end on a bit of a hopeful note today. As some of you (laughs) space-oriented people uh, will know, the James Webb Space Telescope, JWST, successfully deployed its primary mirrors over the weekend and is on its way to the Lagrange Point L2, which for you physics nerds is a stable point in space behind the sun and the earth. And I came across an article that says, why is the James Webb Space Telescope such a big deal? In Cosmos Please magazine. answer that. Yeah. Please answer yeah. that for, so, for us. Yes. Number one, the hype is because this is the Hubble telescope's replacement. And Hubble was such a eye-opener for people about what was out there in the universe and really expanded our, our knowledge. So this is a telescope that was like 30 years in the making, number one. Number two, Whoa. its mirror for collecting light is 6.5 meters compared to Hubble's 2.4 meter mirror. So the light collection capability is orders of magnitude higher, right? So this is like going from a first-generation iPhone sensor to like the top-of-the-line <laughs> DSLR, right? The light capturing is just so much better. Um, awesome. And, and this article also just talks about all of the technology that they had to invent to align these different mirrors into place. Because it's not one huge mirror. It's a bunch of different hexagonal-shaped mirrors that, that are uh, mm. placed into one big mirror. And in this uh, article, it says, quote, aligning the primary mirror segments as though they are a single large mirror means each mirror is aligned to one ten-thousandth the thickness of a human hair. What's even more amazing is that the, that the engineers and scientists working on the Webb telescope literally had to invent how to do this. It's amazing. Wow. Yep. Dang. From NASA, they say in their press release, Webb will directly observe a part of space and time never seen before. Webb will gaze into the epoch when the first stars and galaxies formed over 13.5 billion years ago. And uh, so what's next? Via space.com, they say, as the commissioning ends, this is the deployment of the, the telescope as it gets into position and it's completely unfurled. Rigby, one of the team managers, says the team plans a set of, quote, wow images that are designed to show the telescope's capabilities. Those first targets have not been yet released to the media, but Rigby said the goal of these first pictures will be to, quote, showcase all four science instruments and to really knock everybody's socks off. I can't wait. Ooh, what are we going to see? Yeah. I can't wait. Alan, you're always keeping us afloat on the space photo niche. <laughs> I know it's not everyone's <laughs> cup of tea, but, you know, every time I think about us launching these vehicles into space and, you know, calibrating them to one ten thousandth of, you know, the thickness of a human hair, I'm like, man, Oof. these engineers and scientists and, and the photos that the average human will be able to see from this, it's, it's really inspiring to me. Oh, absolutely. I'm excited to see these. Well, that ends our first show of 2022. It's episode 136, Sarah. Wow. I want to wish you a happy, happy new year. Thank you. You too, Alan. Hey, since you're here, why don't you hit that subscribe button? You can leave us a comment or a rating. It really helps us expand our audience. You can always tweet at us at Photoshelter if you have a great idea that we should cover on the show. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Photoshelter is the online leader for photography websites and workflow tools. Archive, distribute, and sell your photos in a mobile-friendly, responsive website. Try one free for 14 days at photoshelter.com slash podcast. Then download one of our free educational guides at photoshelter.com slash resources.